from the Winnipeg Free Press. Together, we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is the Kenny and Rennie post-game show after, uh, it seems like a little bit of a Christmassy night, wouldn't you say? Strange things happening, the turkey legs catching up to certain people. Don't get me wrong, I think the Winnipeg Jets were no doubt the better team uh, of these two teams here tonight. That doesn't show on the scoreboard, and as good as they were, Maybe you could argue Connor Bedard was the best player on the ice tonight. Maybe not. Vladislav Demeskov having an absolutely great game. Nino Niederreiter, I thought, looked great. Morgan Barron in the fourth line looked phenomenal. Uh, this was Connor Bedard just having that ability to finish um, in, in a spectacular manner. Uh, I know people don't like it when you go on and on about uh, about the opposition's uh, players, but Connor Bedard, special case. We should probably talk about him a little bit. I absolutely love the first goal that he scores. Uh, this is a player who came into the league and a lot of people were questioning whether he would be big enough to survive at the you know NHL level. I think right off the bat, every time you see a first-round pick coming in who's under six feet tall, everyone assumes right off the bat that that player is not going to be able to handle the rigors of the NHL. What I love about that first goal is not only does he show the skill that he's capable of getting that shot on the net uh, in tight, changing the angle, uh, putting it in a place where you know some of the other Jets who are around him, three of them surrounding him, couldn't get to the puck, going in between his legs. But it's the kind of bulldog tenacity with which he just keeps going and going and going at that puck. He will not be denied. These are the kind of goals we've talked about before that if you're a Chicago Blackhawks fan, yeah, the playoffs aren't going to happen for you this year, but someday they will. And it's good to know you've got a guy like Connor Bedard, who's a star who can not only score the really nice, goals that we've seen him score in the past but the kind of goals where you just grind it to the front of the net get to the inside on a team that is one of the most difficult if not the most difficult teams in the nhl to get to the inside on in the winnipeg jets but uh I just love everything about that goal. It's not snake charmer. It's not hang out on the outside trying to make stuff happen. It, it's a guy recognizing the kind of game that it is, the kind of team that it is, and what it's going to take to score. And then that OT winner, I think that's one of those situations where, you know, he's basically standing in the middle of a Winnipeg Jets triangle uh, with the two defenders in front of him, one of them being Josh Morrissey. They've got back pressure coming from behind him. I just don't think there's a recognition at that stage of this is Connor Bedard. The league is going to be learning what Connor Bedard is capable of and that is one of those things you can't let him shoot from that spot it's that simple and Ken nailed it and he'll talk about it when he gets on the show here uh the ability by Connor Bedard in that moment to kind of change the angle to take away you know Josh Morrissey feeling that he's got that path to the net that shooting lane gone uh just I mean we've seen it now I I think it's I think Connor Bedard is the only Chicago Blackhawk to score against the Winnipeg Jets this year. He's got three goals again against the hardest team in the NHL to score against over that stretch of time. Uh, the kid is special, no doubt about it. Hands down, there's nothing about him that screams, you know, can he do this or will he do this? He is just chasing and getting very close to a point per game pace. And how many times tonight there was a semi breakaway that he threw a pass out and it was on the player's stick and the stick couldn't handle the pass. There was a number of times I saw him get the puck and look to make a pass and there was just no one in the right spots. If you put this player on the Winnipeg Jets with the tool 
tools that the Jets have, the Gabe Velardis, Mark Shifley's, Kyle Connors, Nick Ehlers, uh, Cole Perfetti's up and down this lineup. Connor Bedard, I would argue, would be 15 to 20 points above a point per game pace if you had him on a team like the Winnipeg Jets. Anyways, that's all about Connor Bedard. We have to talk about him because he essentially steals the game away from the Winnipeg Jets here, a game in which I thought the Winnipeg Jets were the better of the two teams. Uh, Jets, I, I think undoubtedly, it's not just in the shot counter, the attempts or the posts or all those different kind of things. The Winnipeg Jets were the better team on this night. They were the deeper team. Fourth line looked great. Lowry's line, I thought, looked, uh, you know, was was grinding for, for the most part of it. There was those flashes here and there of Mark Shifley's line where they just have that skill and that kind of sixth sense of knowing each other. Everything that makes the Winnipeg Jets good, including a couple really big saves by Connor Hellebuck, was on display in this game. I, I guess I just kind of chalk it up to, you know, the, the Jets were the better team in this one. And I think this is another time that we take a look at the Winnipeg Jets and think they lost a game, and yet they were the better team in that game. This is what is going to happen after a certain amount of games in the NHL where the Jets play this style where they grind it and they keep it close and usually they grind and they come out on top every once in a while you can't win them all so you're going to win you're going to win some games that you don't deserve to win Jets haven't had many of those this year you're going to learn you lose some games that you you deserve to win the Jets have had a number of those so far this year, but that's what you're looking for if you're a Winnipeg Jets fan, a team that shows well in their losses, not the kind of losses that suck the soul out of you. I mean, would you rather be the Winnipeg Jets right now, be the better team in a two-to-one game where you got a point, but, oh, man, we lost to the Chicago Blackhawks? Or would you rather be the Colorado Avalanche on this night who scored four goals, blew that four-goal lead and lost in overtime against the Arizona Coyotes? Uh, that's the kind of loss that makes you kind of question yourself a little bit. There's no question about this Winnipeg Jets team. They stayed within their structure. It gave them ample opportunities to win this game. It just didn't happen. Not a big deal. You don't win them all, but the Jets are doing a good job of winning by vastly most of them and getting points and seemingly almost all of them the way that they've been going for a long time. Now, that's my take on the whole thing. Uh, let's bring in the man with the best music in the business. He's going to give you his take on the whole thing. Uh, and I forgot to say, Merry Christmas, everybody. Hope uh, hope you're resting those turkey bellies uh, the way that I've been. It's a great holiday for, for me. Hopefully, it's a great holiday for you. So Merry Christmas to you we, before we bring in Ken and say the same thing to him. Here he comes, everybody. Ken, uh, I spoke to a lot of people over the holidays who, a lot of hockey players who told me about all the things that how your skills go and kind of diminish even over those short couple of days. And they're so hyper attuned to it and, and how much they miss it. Well, I'll tell you, I'm hyper attuned to 
and I very much missed your entrance music. It felt like I hadn't heard that in a long time. It was awesome to hear it. Awesome to see you. Uh, still got the Christmas tree going in the background there. I see Mrs. Rennie made me strike that thing at midnight on Christmas. Once, once Christmas is dead in her world, it dies really quick. But uh, how are you doing, my friend? How are the holidays? Uh, great to be with you, Sean. Uh, lots of gratitude flowing uh, around these parts for sure. Uh, got the little Christmas green going, going to keep the tree up for a few more days for sure. And yeah, I mean, just, it's been an awesome few days of uh, family and yeah, really enjoyed it. And, uh, yep. Santa was great at our house and hope this, I know the same for you. Uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, you know, always nice to have hockey back for sure, but, uh, always, I think it was a good time of the year to take a break, to step away from the, uh, from the sport for a bit. And I mean, also too, I mean, we're feeling gratitude for our incredible, you know, listeners, viewers, supporters. I mean, our last show just did absolutely bonkers numbers, Sean, as you know, like the game against the Bruins, we know it was uh, something that took the Jets into the break nicely. Uh, and you know, it was impressive to see everyone um, showing up there. I mean, crazy numbers on YouTube and on the download. So, I mean, oh, awesome yeah. time of the year. Uh, it's an, the post Christmas. Uh, the post Christmas marker is fun because it's a reminder that things go quickly. Uh, down the Jets are down to forty nine games in this season, and once you know the next marker is the uh, All Star break, and once the All Star break is over with, Sean. Every other night, basically, like it's like a 30 games in 60 day kind of stretch. I don't have the yeah. ag- actual numbers in front of me, but it's the uh, super. Mo- it's the most fun time of the year, and uh, excited to be talking about hockey uh, over this next little stretch here. So, uh, interesting start. We know that the first game up. It, it, it's super bizarro land because you always expect a team to struggle at the beginning of a game Sean right right but, but the Jets were kind of the opposite they were incredibly sharp early didn't give up a shot on net for nearly 15 minutes and lo and behold uh, as you mentioned I mean the three for a dollar special by Connor Bedard and quite frankly the second shot he had, it, it, I don't even think, it, it's not, it's so bizarre because the, it, it's not technically between the legs because by the time the shot is actually taken, he moves his leg to the side to give himself more velocity on what starts as a between the legs shot. Right. Uh, and then his ability to battle through after, you know, putting his body in such an interesting kind of pretzel kind of, Gumby situation he still sticks his nose in as you said gets to the blue paint and basically on both the goals allowed by the Jets there are ample defenders in the area but none of them take Bedard's biggest weapon which is his stick so incredible first goal and on the third on the second Sean I mean you you, you sort of you, you teased it incredibly well my initial thought were two things that stood out. Uh, it's a one-on-three. So, you know, I know a lot of people are up in arms about Shifley. How come there's not better back pressure? Now, to a degree, you can understand that. Yes, Mark Shifley has been a back-checking machine this year. Could there have been more back pressure applied? Yes, no doubt about it. But, Sean, we've been in these situations before, not defending against Connor Bedard, but in a one-on-two situation... There's not as much urgency. I'm not taking Shifley off the hook completely here. But on a one-on-two, 
you don't need as much back pressure because you think that the defenders have the situation in hand. Secondly, Josh Morrissey, could he have pressured Bedard a little bit quicker? Yes. But to me, Sean, this is about Bedard's ability to change the shooting angle. Morrissey thought, all I have to do is stick out my stick and poke check him or deflect it into the netting. Bedard tucks it to himself and then in one motion whips it past Hellebuck and Morrissey before they could adjust. So, yes, could the Jets have played it a little better? Absolutely. But I don't think they played it as poorly as what the slow motion replay makes it look like, Sean. Am I wrong here? No, not at all. In fact, I I almost have, if it's almost any other player in the league other than maybe Austin Matthews, uh, and even if if it's Connor McDavid, I'm okay with the way you played it. The the only people who are going to beat you, the only people that you played wrong in that situation are the likes of Connor Bedard, uh, like I said, maybe Austin Matthews, who's got that ability to kind of change up that angle and really whip the shot from a spot like that. Maybe McKinnon. Nikita Kucherov, McKinnon, right? It takes a special player with a special release to be able to do that. And I think this is just one of those scenarios where I don't think, you know, a player like like Josh Morrissey has that book yet on Connor Bedard and knows that he's in danger in that situation yet. I I, I don't mind the, the, the back pressure not being as strong as it was. I don't mind them sitting it there because what the Jets are trying to do is they're trying to put that player into a trap and they're trying, and to a degree, Ken, they are, they are, they're believing in their goaltender, right? They're thinking our goaltender should be able to get like a clear shot from the high salt like that. I yeah. I don't even know if it's a shot, Ken, that is that is used as a screen. He just pulls it in, finds an open lane, yeah. and just whips it right past Connor Hellebuck. So you're thinking in that situation that your goalie's probably going to have it. What you aren't re- yet realizing is like, I think what a lot of people, it took the league a long time to figure out about Patrick Laine. Yeah. Connor Bedard from a shot like that is... It, it, is extremely dangerous in a place like that. He's got a shot the likes of which most NHLers haven't really seen before, except for a select few players. The Jets are playing that to pull him into a trap and just try and get the puck back. OT is about puck possession. The Jets are just trying to bide their time, get the puck back, and go down and try and make something happen. And they just get burnt by a player who is one of the very few elite players in this world. I'm talking five players in this world who are able to take a situation like that and turn it into a dangerous situation, and that's Connor Bedard. Yeah, now quickly, uh, just a couple things. It was a long shift for those guys. Morrissey 101 and Shifley... Oh, no, he just got out there. So I just kind of a little bit of a strange scenario there. But I, I don't, I, you know, and a lot of people are going crazy. I understand. But I don't think Josh played it overly poorly. I, I do agree with Greg Zamzow. The, the gap could have been tighter. And, Sean, I think, like you said, I think the recognition is going to be there now for the Jets. Not that the, oh, yeah. the Jets already know about Connor Bedard, yes. But it's one thing to see him. And here's the other thing, Sean. After Connor Bedard scored that goal against the Jets that opened the scoring on the game on December 2nd, they did an incredible job of shutting him down for the remainder yeah. of the game. Today, he was a little bit danger- more dangerous, I thought. No doubt about it. There's a significant drop-off in the talent pool after Bedard. We know this. But he actually had a pretty quiet third period uh, up until the overtime, um, for me anyways. But... This is this is an elite talent. I mean, the Jets 
they had 82 shot attempts. I mean, like you said, this isn't about shots or shots on goal or attempts, but I mean, the Jets clearly had control of the majority of this game. Kudos to the Blackhawks for being ready to roll. And, you know, their goaltender, Peter Morazic, kept them in the game and was fortunate. There were five, you know, four posts and a crossbar in the game. So, yes, that's a factor. But it, it's the other factor is they couldn't score. So, and both Vladislav Nemestikov and Morgan Barron said that after the game, and they were right. Those are the kind of games, Sean, where a greasier type of goal is required. Um, they had opportunities. There were lots of nice plays. Um, you know, the Jets did generate plenty in the contest, but they didn't get the job done. Ultimately, this isn't a game where they they go back and say, "Oh, that's a horrible effort." That's not a horrible effort. It, it's a game where the game doesn't go their way. Could they have been better? Yes. Did special teams cost them the game? You could argue that. Uh, Rick Bonus, quite frankly, said. Our power play was ineffective. Their, their power yes. play, Sean, cannot be ineffective. Uh, they had two goals in their last game against the Bruins. They were both produced by the second unit. They were both produced by Nino Niederreiter. The top unit is struggling. There, there's no sugar coating this. Um, I, I, I do think that further changes are required. We were surprised, Sean. Both you and I were surprised when the Jets didn't do more than just flip out Cole Perfetti for Alex Iafalo. Right, I mean, that, yeah. when Rick Bonus talked about structural and personnel changes, that is not what either one of us um, anticipated was going to be the move. I personally think that an, another move is probably required. Um, will we see that move on Friday? We we know what Rick Bon we know Rick Bonus is disappointed. We also know Rick Bonus understands his team is now eight one and two in the month of December, and that he doesn't want to overreact. Uh, to this but he also knows that the power play needs to get rolling and the personnel probably needs to change a little bit more and you know a lot of people talking about Lowry Lowry Lowry's job in that scenario was to win the faceoff. that's yeah. exactly what he did he did stay on and stayed in the bumper for a little bit that's that's true but I mean this wasn't a traditional promotion to the power play but no. Adam Lowry did his job he went out won the draw and then did his job in the bumper before uh, it was his time to go off and change. So, um, you know, is that something they'll consider later on? I mean, Mark Scheifele had a tough day in the circle. The other day he was dominant in the circle. He's been very good for the Jets, but tonight wasn't his night on the, on the faceoff dot. Uh, so he went to Lowry, who, who was better. But right now the second unit is moving the puck better. Uh, they're yeah. getting creating more lanes. They're creating more shots. And right now, the top unit's going to have to get going. I mean, th this is as simple as it gets. Um, you know, I, I like the fact that Mark Sh Mark Shifley, early in the game, Sean, he he took the puck towards the net, but he didn't. Sh I, I, he needed to shoot a little bit more. I thought. Yeah. I thought he needed to be. He looked like he was getting aggressive, but then he didn't finish the job. He looked for a pretty cross ice pass. Uh, too much stationary play, Sean. I mean, this has been uh, a broken record at times for the top unit. They're incredibly talented. They, they know what they need to do, but they need to do it with confidence. And right now, they're not feeling a whole lot of confidence on the power play. So if that's the case, then I, I would think that a couple more tweaks might be required. You know, I don't overreact about this either. 
We know the top line has been out of its mind during that five-game stretch. Today, I thought that there were some snapshots of that there was, top there was line. A close one. There was a close one Shifley put to the net that, that looked like it was going in. I was surprised it stayed out. Yeah, And two great chances for Gabriel Velarde. I think it was in the second period. There was a really good in-close chance. You know, I thought Nikolai Ehlers made an excellent play to find the trailer to Neil Pionk. So that, that line, they had some pretty zone entries. I thought that their their chemistry was still shown uh, throughout the game, but it didn't re- you know it didn't result in a two three or four goal game. That that's that's not a concern for me. Uh, not out here saying oh they had a rough night uh, you know they should be broken up. No, they had some chances. They weren't quite as like they went through a ridiculous scenario where everything they touched turned to gold. Today I thought they had some flashes. But they weren't quite as sharp. Now, that's to be expected after a four-day uh, break. I mean, Jets just weren't quite as sharp. That That's natural when that happens. Um, but the big thing for me, Sean, they've got a huge two-game set here with the Minnesota Wild. So this yeah. was kind of a rust shaking off or shaking off the rust type of scenario for the Jets. And now let's see what happens. I mean... If one of these two teams can sweep the two-game set that is happening in a very short span of time, now all of a sudden you either have the ability to push the opponent down if you're the Jets, or if you're the Wild, they're looking to they, they don't want to just sweep, they don't want to just split. They want to try to sweep also. So, I mean, again, most likely outcome is a split because these two teams are both very good. But if the Jets can find a way to sweep, they will be uh, feeling very good about themselves. And if the Wild can find a way, uh, then they would obviously think that they're right back in the heart, of the, not just in the race in the Central, but they, they feel like they're really turning the corner because we know they're already playing a lot better under John Hines. So uh, to me, we kind of... And one other thing before we s- s- change gears, I mean, you talked about Vlad Nemestikov. I mean, I had a couple notes today saying, oh, this is just another great example that the Jets need a second-line center. I mean, I, I couldn't disagree more. I think Nemesnikov has, fine, he has three goals, big deal. Vlad Nemesnikov is a, you know, we're both big, big baseball guys, Sean. He is a run prevention type of player. Like, Vlad Nemesnikov is not hurting the Winnipeg Jets in the role that he has been asked to play. He's doing an excellent job, and I mean, I would also argue with some of those folks that that line is the third line based on ice time distributed. So, I mean, he's, could he produce a little bit more offense? Sure. But Vladislav Nemestikov is not a problem for the Jets. He's played an excellent brand of hockey. He plays wherever you need him to play. And he's been a very effective centerman in his role. Could the line play a little bit better? Of course it could. But I don't think it played poorly by any stretch of the imagination. And Nemestikov was one of the best players on the ice. Um, I mean, and Nemestikov was first to say... Uh, as Sparky says here, with bodies in front of the net, I mean, the Jets actually d- needed to do a better job of that. And and both Vladislav Nemesnikov and Morgan Barron pointed it out quickly that that's what they needed to do. They needed a little bit more greasiness to their game. That hasn't been an issue for the Jets. Uh, they have been getting to the blue paint. Today, they didn't do a good enough job of getting there. 
Ladies and gentlemen, uh, you would have thought his belly was full of turkey and stuffing. <laughs> Ken Weave just went on an epic trip to the buffet. There's nothing that slows this guy down. Not the holidays, not any of those things, people. Um, I, I'll just touch on a couple things because <clears throat> there was a wide swath of things that you touched on. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I just wanted to get to the idea of, of Adam Lowry being moved there. I don't think it's a fluke. I think he gets put out there for sure to win the draw, but it's not a situation where, like, let's just put him out to win the draw and turn around and skate, def- like, immediately off the ice. I know we talked about this. I know that some people in the chat room are suggesting that this is, like, you know, a moment here. Uh, Maurice that says, hey, Rennie, Lowry got PP one time tonight when you suggested it earlier this month and everyone here was making fun of you. I was also making fun of you. Yeah, it happens, and, and I guess this is kind of what I meant when I suggested this at the time. I don't think for a second, and I said it at the time, I don't think for a second that Adam Lowry was going to end up on the first power play. But I thought that if you wanted to send that message, guys, let's get to the net, that's what you would do. And I think that that's what that was all about. It wasn't going to be a full-time solution, but it was going to be, let's get Adam Lowry out there. If he can win the draw, get him up and around the net. And then let's see if the players just don't react and be like, just get the puck to the front of the net already. And they clearly missed the memo, right? Like it just went back to more of like possessing the puck on the outside. Uh, So I don't know. I take a look at Lowry in that situation. I think it made sense for them to do that in that moment, especially in that game where you could see if Morozik was seeing it, he was stopping it tonight. That's what was happening. So you're trying to get a guy like Adam Lowry out there who maybe just maybe he'll keep him from seeing it in that situation. But to your point, we saw that a number of times from Mark Shifley. And I would say if, if there's a weakness uh, for Mark Shifley as a hockey player, when Mark Shifley is operating at his highest capacity, you can see he's a great defensive uh, forward. He's a, a, a great center at possessing the puck and setting up goals. And like, you can just see it. Like I said, I've said this before. I think he elevates everyone around him. The one thing I would suggest about Mark Shifley is last year he was scoring goals and he got on a real goal scoring track. And it's almost like his mind switched to that. And then it becomes all about shooting the puck and getting the puck to the net. But at other times in his career, I think he's kind of turned into the mind switched over to the passing Mark Shifley, who we've seen do amazing things and no one I, who would not be passing the puck the way Gabe Velarde has been putting the puck in the net and Nick Ehlers and the way that that line's been going. But tonight just looked like a scenario to me by which Mark Shifley just was, there was never a risk of him throwing the puck at the net. He was going to try and pass that for a tap and That's how they were going to win this game. He was going to set it up that way. That one moment that you just talked about on the power play where he, you know, no one was going to him. So he just moved in closer and closer and closer. And by moving in closer, he's waiting for someone to commit to him and no one commits to him. No one opens up the guy in the bumper spot. No one, you know, allows that, that seam to open up so he can pass it all the way across the ice for a one timer for Nick Ehlers at that moment turn and fire the puck on the net, throw it yeah. into the pads, get a rebound, go jamming away at it and have faith that you're going to get the puck back. Um, I just, it, it just seemed tonight like Mark Shifley was intent on passing the puck into the back of the net. And I think, listen, every hockey player in the world probably would get sucked into something like this uh, where, where, you know, like if, if, if the passes are happening, if they're connecting and they're going in the back of the net, that's what you have a likelihood to do. Uh, but I would say that about Mark Shifley. I think he gets switched and he's in passing brain and he's in shooting brain. And it's hard for him to adjust that for a moment in the game 
uh, that's what I was seeing out of the out of that tonight here. Yeah, and just one other quick one. I, I would have liked, I would have preferred, and not that Lowry did anything poorly, but in a game where they're struggling to get traffic, I would have preferred that Lowry and Velarde switch spots there, Sean. Just get Velarde down as the net front presence there and put Velarde into the high slot, into the bumper. But uh, yeah, I mean, let's see what happens. <laughs> let's see what happens as they move forward here. But yeah. There's lots of options to consider for the Jets, but I agree with you. And, and the other thing too, I mean, there's been a lot of talk. You know, even Rick Bonus said it. I mean, he said it the other day. This is the best two-way hockey I've seen Mark Scheifele playing. One of the other things that we saw during the, and I know people don't want to talk about this, and I know it's a long time ago, but out of those 14 goals, Sean, during that 2017-18 playoff run to the conference final. Several of those were from the high, for, were from the high slot on on power play setups from Blake Wheeler. So I, I do think that this is going to have to be something the Jets do consider, um, but we'll see if that's something that they actually will will you know will use. I know it's been something they've discussed in the past. They've tried it in the past, and I do think it's something that even, you don't have to put them there permanently. But the Jets are lacking motion, and when they have motion. Mark Shifley in the slot is something that is a is an oper, is an option for them to take advantage not only take advantage of but to exploit with the opposition because he's so good in that spot. So uh, you know we'll see what what happens and shakes down. But there's there's lo- there's lots to dig into here as we move along. And yeah, I mean we're almost halfway through already, and we want to talk a little World Junior. We want to talk about the fourth line and uh, that yeah. too. But we should. Uh, I was okay, hold on. Before okay. before before we do that, I gotta say uh, it's a good thing that we're leaving leaving ugly Christmas sweater season uh, <laughs> because Frankie and the boys of Victoria Rossi they don't do anything ugly, so they're sitting around being like, "We can't get in on this. Sorry, this is just not what we do. We make you look like a million bucks, and that's what they've done to us in the past. Not right now, Ken. We are more in ugly sweater mode. Uh, Easy now. We are than we are in uh, nice Victoria Rossi clothing mode. But uh, hey, if you want to. Ditch the ugliness and head on down for some great clothing. Head on down to Accordant Avenue. Walk into Vittorio Rossi. Loudly proclaim that Kenny and Rennie sent you. Uh, ask for Frankie and the boys, and they will do you up right. I'm also going to give the pristine Just wake quickly, up call. I was there to see uh, Frankie a little while ago last week. I saw Evan and Sammy and Frankie. Everyone is doing well there. and yeah, AKA the see boys. Them. Go see them. Exactly. Yes. I'm just letting you know I was in there uh, seeing Frankie and the boys. And uh, there you go. Store is ready for some end of season activity. And and when the calendar flips, uh, you might find a sale or two happening at the uh, Vittorio Rossi location. There we go. Uh, Hey, I also uh, wanted to give a quick, this would have been a pristine wake-up call moment. I'm going to talk about a player who I think got the pristine wake-up call (laughs) and then like turned it around. And that, of course, is Morazic, who started out the game with that weird play, like a flip shot on net. I don't know what he was trying to do. It's like he had it in his glove and at the last second decided that he was going to headbutt it out and then missed it. Or was he ducking? I don't know what he was doing in that situation. If that would have gone in, that was insane. And I was looking, I was thinking, holy smokes, this is this is how you're going to start this game up. He clearly got the pristine wake-up call after that because he was phenomenal for the entirety of the game. Uh, and you know what that means. Time to give North End Rick the pristine roofing wake-up call. Give him a call at one two zero four nine eight one six two eight nine for all your roofing, siding, and exterior needs. Yes, it's the holiday season. Don't worry about it. He may be there with a 
glass of rum and eggnog, some cookies, chomping away. Don't worry about it. You can get him on down there. But if you don't want to interrupt his holiday bliss, you can always call Pristine Roofing at 204-237-7663. I can't do it now. Uh, but Pristine Roofing, feeling in a generous holiday mood, are going to be handing out some tickets to the uh, home renovation show here in town. Ken, I didn't even tell you that. So you uh, some stocking stuffers for everybody up Beautiful. and coming. We'll get them ready to go for the next show. And uh, while we're at it, why don't you give Sweet Lou, uh, because the, the crowd's already all over Sweet Lou. So give him, Indeed. Uh, give him a shout out. It is the season. Uh, if, if it's the season for you to require some real estate needs, uh, you can contact Lou Ferlin at Rolla Page Dynamic Realty, 204-791-9971, or at the office, 204-989-5000. His email is lou at louferlin.ca. That's L-O-U at L-O-U-F-U-R-L-A-N.ca. Lou Ferlin, excellent realtor, excellent human being, and excellent supporter of the community, including this podcast, for which excellent. we are very grateful. Excellent stuff. Okay, uh, I was looking in the comments. I believe it's been called for. Uh, no, it, well, it was called. I didn't save it, but I don't think it really matters. Um, let's turn this into a Christmas <laughs> holiday edition of the uh, of a Sean's headband version of the Kenny and Rennie show. <laughs> Okay, Ken, to me, fixing the power play, there needs to be a little bit more honesty from them in getting the puck to the front of the net. And I think it's it's just one of these situations where they just got to throw it in front and kind of get some jamming. And at least at that stage, those teams know that the Jet, they, they can't just sit on the Jets' shooting lanes, right? That's going to open things up. But I think uh, it's not just as simple as that. If it was that simple, I think the Jets would have done that a little bit easier. Although I do think that they could be getting a lot more that they're getting based on that. But the Jets are using a very similar power play structure to that of the uh, um, uh, of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I do not understand why after all these years that the Jets have been using a very similar structure, they don't try to build in more movement Motion, between yeah. the positions. Now, I get it. You've got one guy down in the bumper. You've got one guy in the high slot. Sorry, one guy up in the high slot. One guy lower by the net. Mark Shifley on the boards on one side. Ehlers or Kyle Connor on the other side. Uh, uh Josh Morrissey sitting up at the top. Now, Tampa's been using that for years and years and years, that very same structure. But what they don't do that the Jets do is they don't sit those guys in that spot and basically never move them. They almost play a shell game with those three guys in the middle where the guy in the slot gets the puck and he moves it to... so. Imagine this, uh, the guy in the middle uh, of, of the ice, if it's Alex Iafallo, gets the puck in the middle and everyone collapses on, is on him so there's not a shot. And then he continues moving that puck along to Mark Shifley for a shot. Or he'll grab it and he'll move it to Mark Shifley as Mark Shifley skates towards him. They'll converge in the same zone. And as they switch, Iafallo will pop out and Shifley will move it to him. You'll catch those guys in the transition, just moving those three guys from spot to spot to spot 
spot. So what you're getting is you're getting a little bit of dynamic movement built in there while you're still keeping that same structure. But the Jets are keeping uh, that structure as though it's etched in stone. And you've seen it before. They'll try and switch it here or there. But how many times on the power play this year have you seen Mark Shifley sitting on the boards on one side? How many times have you seen Josh Morrissey sitting at the very top? How many times have you seen Kyle Connor sitting on the other side? Like it's it's just at a stage where they're, they're, the, the puck is getting moved to a spot that the opposition knows where the puck is going to be and expect it to be there. And so if they know where that puck is going to go, then they know where the passing lanes are that they're trying to shut down. And if the Jets aren't going to put it to the front of the net to try and create some chaos, then you've got a penalty kill that knows where the puck is going to be, knows where the shooting lane or the passing lanes are that they need to shut down and knows where the shooting lanes are that they need to shut down. And if there's not going to be an attempt by the Jets to just push the puck to the front of the net, then there's no reason to jump off those shooting lanes. So again, I think you can make this a lot simpler for the Jets if you just start getting the puck to the front of the net. But that's like, it's a little bit of a caveman answer. I don't think it's a bad thing. Thing, you know, just trying to cram it down the other team's throat. But if you add that element into it so that teams have to be honest with that, and then you add a little bit of dynamic movement between the players who aren't married to the spots that they're, they're set up like they're an X and an O and can't move their boots off that spot on the on the uh, uh, the chalkboard, if they could get some dynamic movement going in there, I think that they could maybe freshen up what we're seeing is a very stale power play. Yeah, I mean, Sean, you, you talk about Tampa. I mean, a couple quick things there. I mean, Kucherov and Point just both are incredible at the motion element on that power play. Hedman at the top, often, you know, sometimes, you know, I like Hedman at the top there. You know, you have a one timer option. Right now, with Connor out, the Jets don't really, they're, they have guys that can take one timers, but they don't really go to the one timer when it's time for the power play. I'm talking about Ehlers and Shifley. They are players who can add that to their repertoire, but we're not seeing it right now. Uh, the thing for me, like Point and Kucherov are absolutely elite when it comes to the motion element, and they'll also sneak, the, especially Kucherov on those side boards, Sean. He comes in and takes a little quick butt knock and then shoots, like you're talking about, just to be dangerous. I mean, you have to respect it, and then once you respect it, now you open up the passing lane, and now Kucherov has all kinds of op. Sorry, I was looking for Sergachev. Sergachev sometimes taking some turns with that top unit these days as well. But they're right now they're they don't really have a one timer option. I don't love the spacing. Um Shifley and Morrissey find each other plenty, but they both need to be a little bit more dangerous when it comes to the shot lane. And they need to shoot a little bit more often. But also too, the shots with traffic. It's not just shooting at an open like today was a great example. Uh, Mrazek had plenty of shots that he could see, and if if there's nobody in his eyes, he was making a lot of the saves. So, yeah, I, I do think that it's just simplistic. Go back to simplicity, and I think that would be something that that starts the Jets from rolling. And it is odd, Sean, because we are finally, as you mentioned, you've talked about this a number of times, and you know we've talked about it together. Shifley and Ehlers are now finally getting some on ice chemistry because they're playing together more that for some reason hasn't really translated into finding each other on the power play. It's almost too forced right now. We saw a great example today. Shifley kind of looked off three people and then he tried to go cross ice and it just was tipped over by the Blackhawks defender. So I don't mind that they're looking for each other, but right now they need to be a little bit more 
uh, simplistic in their approach and and by being a little bit more aggressive in the shooting uh, I do think that it's it's something that can help get them going I mean I the talent is obviously there for the power play to be effective uh, but you know right now they think they went into today 21st now Sean on the flip side we've been we've been banging the drum on the PK woes all year long today was the third game in a row where they were had a clean sheet and that hasn't happened often this year uh so i mean we do need to say that they are starting to improve in that regard but i mean five on five again is another shot game 23 here 23 games this year where the jets have given up three or fewer and most of the seven of those games of the 23 are with three allowed uh hang on i got this here i had it earlier on here it is. Two goals on now 12 occasions, uh, one goal three times, and one shutout during that 23-game stretch. Like It's remarkable what they're doing at 5-on-5, five five. but you know we know which area needs to get cleaned up for the Jets in order for them to sort of take that next step, if you will. All right, so you wanted to talk about uh, the fourth line, so let's get to that. I'll let you launch. Yeah, I mean, I just think that you know another day where – what we're starting to see from the Jets, Sean, is very interesting. You know, David Gustafson can't go. He's got a lower body injury that he suffered in that game against Boston. David's been playing very well. Dominic Toninato, Toninato a guy who has not played a single game for the Jets this year uh, because of circumstance, gets into the game and makes an immediate impact. He gets an assist. He has a great, they have a great connection there, Sean, where he's the guy in the high slot and he rips a shot that's stopped and then goes off the post. Uh, he's buzzing around all night long and I'm still actually shocked that he got up from um, the, Ooh, yeah. when he took the puck to the net. And quite frankly, for all the tripping, kind of phantom tripping calls that were in the game, don't you think Korchin, that was actually one of the more obvious, I thought that was obviously tripping, Um uh, I don't think it was, I think it was more of an accidental trip, but Korchinski's stick is definitely in Tony Notto's feet before he goes plowing into the end boards. Um, so, you know, good on him for getting up. And I mean, you know, this is guys who been waiting so long to get on the ice. So he's going to be, do everything in his power to get into the game. But uh, really liked what I saw there. Morgan Barron up to six goals now uh, in 30, you know, 33 games it's in a you know, pretty solid number for a guy who's played almost exclusively I shouldn't say almost exclusively generally on the fourth line but gets those bump up shifts uh, in games and Axel Janssen Fialbi Sean we've been talking about this for a few weeks now everyone knows Rasmus Kapari is closing in on a return for the Winnipeg Jets now suddenly Axel Janssen Fialbi who looked like the easy choice to come out at best based on circumstance yeah. Has now yeah. worked himself. Now again, today he only plays eight forty-five, uh, no shots on goal or no attempts. But I mean, he's disruptive out there. He gets involved in the forecheck. So, I mean, is he going to be a guy that Rick Bonus says, "Hey, let's get Kupari in there and see what happens," or is he going to stick with a guy who's now given him a, a long stretch of games? Now, I do expect they would go to Kupari when he's ready and medically cleared to play. Uh, whether that's Saturday or not, uh, I, let's just put it this way: I expect Kapari to play in one of the games. I don't necessarily expect him in both in the back-to-back, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets one of the two games. Now, what will that mean for fourth-line competition? Well, Rick Bonus also said he expects Gustafson to be ready for Saturday. So, 
Today, Dominic Toninato, 8.23 on 12 shifts. He had one shot blocked, three missed the net, three hits, uh, two blocked shots. I mean, if you're looking to <laughs> looking to play a little bit more, you cannot, uh, Frosty, you cannot send Rasmus Kapari down without waivers. So that will not be an option. They, they could consider a conditioning assignment, but I don't believe that's in play. Um, Lauren Brassois, I don't expect him to play Saturday. I expect him to play Sunday uh, in the back end of the back-to-back. It'll be Hellebuck on Saturday in the home game, I would imagine. Uh, and we'll see what happens from there. But yeah, I mean, I, I love a lot about what I saw from the fourth from the fourth line, Sean. Uh, it's it's been something that has been a big development for the Jets. The 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 fact that they've been able to play their fourth line and are now getting some production from them is important. I mean, could they have played a little bit more today? Sure, but almost nine minutes. As long as they're not in that five to six minute range. The Jets can't go back to those days, Sean, where the fourth line is playing five, six, seven minutes of ice time. They got to be close to nine and sometimes north of 10, and they've done that routinely this year. And I know sometimes the top guns want to play more, but it's fine. They need to be ready. Of course, they need to qualify first, but having an import, a fourth line that can give quality minutes it's incredibly important for them. And it's honestly, I think it's one of the reasons why they've been so much better at defending this year. The fact that they're rolling four lines. Well, one of the reasons I would argue for sure that the Jets are this team that doesn't allow more than three goals and hasn't for such a long time is the fact that their fourth line doesn't get exploited, right? Right. Like so many other, so many other teams come rolling into town and they're thinking, okay, we just need to wait for the moments in the game where they put out the weakest link. And then we try to exploit that weakest link. And you can definitely do that a lot more often when you're on home ice. That doesn't happen with the Winnipeg Jets. You want to be a team. Like, there's a lot of nights where teams, other other teams' fourth and third lines will cost them two or three, four goals a, a night alone, just those yeah. lines. That doesn't happen with the Jets. So if you want to talk about what makes this Jets team good, it's the depth that does not it's it's going back to the system and rick bonus demanding it's i i I think it's so interesting how he says this all the time ken wait every once in a while he'll come out with these lines and he'll say well it's what we demand of them and that's just it the fourth line doesn't get to go out and look like a lesser line when it comes to defending we don't need you scoring all the time although you did tonight and it got us a point here tonight but we don't need you to do it all the time but what you will do all the time what we expect of you is you will defend like that the amazing part of that ken is the way that they've been able to switch guys in and out of this lineup ton and tonight included who looked absolutely phenomenal ajf who's looked great since he came in the gus bus who's looked great since he came in i'll say it right now ken the the best version versions and I don't say just say version but versions of the fourth line this season have not had Rasmus Kapari on those lines not I'm going to say it right now not yet I'll say it right now though um Rasmus Kapari is lucky that he's on a team that is the kind of team that when Kevin Sheveldayoff makes a, a deal he wants to see those guys in the lineup right now because if 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 I would suggest if you were talking about the players who have produced the most, AJF has as many goals as as Rasmus Kapari does. Um, 
Gus has more goals than he does. Morgan Barron has more goals than he does. He's the center. He's supposed to be getting in on the points. That hadn't been happening with him. And because this line is able to maintain being as good defensively as they are with or without Rasmus Kapari in the lineup, everybody else who's getting an opportunity has been showing up in a way offensively that Rasmus Kapari has not been able to show up. Now, when Rasmus Kapari comes back, I fully expect him to go back into the lineup. Again, I suggest it is one of those things. When Morgan Barron is traded for, a lot of other teams would have sent him down and had some seasoning. He gets brought in right away because Kevin Sheveldayoff wants to show in that moment, this is what we got for this player. And Kevin Sheveldayoff wants to highlight this season. This is what we were able to get for Pierre-Luc Dubois. And he's got coaches that are amenable to that. But I'm telling you right now, I don't think this is... And you may be right, Ken. Probably the best is yet to come. But I would also argue what we've seen so far from Rasmus Kapari in a Winnipeg Jets jersey is what we saw from him in an LA Kings jersey. There is no doubting it in this year. That line has been a better version, more offensive version of that line with Rasmus Kapari out of the lineup than in it. But it is crazy to think of the guys who are continually rolling in and out of this lineup. Someone gets injured. Someone else steps up. There is no flagging. There is no sinking by that line. Everyone is able to come in and good job by the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, you know, one of this is uh, Scott Arneal going out and finding AJF and being like, this is the kind of guy that fits what you're looking for, Rick. And it's just time and time again, the Jets have added players, added players, added players who fit a role that they're expected to play that these guys are all able to pull off. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, there's no doubt that Kapari needs to get involved in the offense. I mean, that's exactly what Rick Bonus told David Gustafson this summer. But I'm giving him more leash than, and I've seen a little bit more from him than what you saw in training camp. I know that's a long time ago. He's had 15 games. And to me, that's totally different scenarios because there's not as much of a spotlight on him. But I look at the struggles for Jonathan Huberdeau and to a degree, Pierre-Luc Dubois and I don't expect Rasmus Kapari to come in and shoot the lights out. Now, does he need to play better at times? Of course he does, but he can bring the Jets some speed. He does create opportunities, but you need to create, you got to do more with those opportunities. You got to convert. If you don't convert, there's lots of players who play in the NHL that can create chances, but don't convert. So uh, I do think it, you know, the onus is on him to produce more. Uh, but I do think that he's a guy that has some potential, and, and we'll see. I mean, Al, he doesn't have to have as long a leash, but I do think that uh, when a player is coming to a new scenario, he, he needs a little bit more of a runway. But, I mean, because of what you discussed and because of the players who are playing well already within that system, he doesn't have a ton of runway. Uh, but, I mean, he definitely is a guy that is going to need to get caught up to speed. And then we'll see what happens. And just a quick one, uh, Morgan Barron just under 11 minutes there on that fourth line today. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens when Kapari's back, but I do expect him to be uh, in the mix. And and, and I, I do think that he can contribute to the Jets down the road. And the other thing about this too, Sean, he come, I know the system is different, but this is a responsible player uh, that can also defend. And he also can give something... Uh, in terms of the four check and his speed game. But yeah, I mean, he's going to have to produce a little bit more offense. 
Well, and I guess I would say it like this. I know that there's a certain, hey, I, I know when I'm saying this, there's a certain uh, amount of the population that is going to be up in arms about this. I'm looking at this from a player's viewpoint. David Gustafson was told, like you said, in the offseason, you better produce or else is basically what he was told. And what's he done? He's come out and he's produced. And I guess my take on the whole thing is there's been a certain, uh, I'm not saying if you don't give Rasmus Kapari time, and opportunity that over a certain amount of time, maybe he's going to get to a player who has, you know, what's it? He's He hasn't scored in something like 48 or 49 games or something like that. I'm not saying that he's not going to get to be a player who will contribute and do this. But what I am saying is in the meantime, when Rasmus Kapari comes in, and is given an opportunity and has not hit the stride that these other players have, other players are going to be taken out of the lineup to make room for him. And those other players, for the most part, have earned the opportunity to stay in that spot. Like if David Gustafson, who came in and has played the way he's played this season, gets taken out of the lineup and has to sit, it's going to be a situation undoubtedly by which David Gustafson, the better performing of those two players this season will sit from the press box and watch a player who has not outperformed him for that job. Now I don't see the jets crumbling for a situation like that, like this, I get this, but I don't ever think it's a good scenario when guys are giving opportunities that other guys have earned. I think it creates frustration. I don't think there's too much of a worry when it comes to guys like AJF or Dominic Toninac, because those guys get their role. Those guys are just happy to be with an organization that they're one of the first couple of call-ups. Those guys are happy to be an organization where they get to collect an NHL paycheck every once in a while when it's time to come up, and you can see they just go out and hit it. So I don't think that this, this is a massive problem, but I'll say this flat out. If Rasmus Kapari comes in and, he, and David Gustafson goes out, Rasmus Kapari is taking a spot that David Gustafson so far has earned over over Rasmus Kapari. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going a little bit wild here. I mean, I, I know what you're saying for sure, but I mean, there's no bigger proponent of David Gustafson than I am. And David's been in the organization since 2018. So Kapari's been here for five minutes, like 15 games in his career. So right now he's three points behind Gustafson. So I do think that the competition will be on. I think Gustafson has earned a chance to stay in the lineup. There's no doubt about that. And I do think that initially he will stay in the lineup and it'll be AJF that goes out. I mean, he's playing fine, but it's not like these guys are all racking up a ton of points. So uh, I do think that there are, you know, there will be opportunity. I don't think it's necessarily a pl platoon, but I, I think that you got to give a little bit more leash, uh, um, to Kapari before we... He'll get that leash. He'll yeah. get that leash. And, you know, QMJ says, let's have a talk about Appleton. I mean, Mason's gone. I, I think it's now six... I, I'll, I'll double check here, but it's a long stretch without a goal. There's no doubt about that. I still... I thought that actually that line was pretty effective early on. Um, I thought that they were generating a few opportunities. But right now, Mason Appleton went from having an incredible start to the year offensively to, you know, we talked about things went really silent for Alex Iafalo. Right now, you know, Mason Appleton has gone through a little bit of a rough patch when it comes to offense. I mean, but he still has, he still has six goals and 17 points. Uh, and he had an assist against the Bruins, and he's got, you know, two assists in his last five games. So uh, I, I don't see that being a problem. 
Appleton does a lot of things that are important for a hockey team. Now, do I understand that he hasn't scored since November 18th? Of course I do. But at the same, I don't think that Mason Appleton is in a scenario where he needs to be concerned about being the guy sitting down for Erasmus Kapari. I just don't think that that's the case. He's a very good penalty killer, and he plays on one of the most important lines on the team. So uh, I don't I don't agree with our commenter on that one. Well, so I'm glad they brought that up. Interesting, uh, because I, I I was on the record of this. Sorry, 16 I'd said games without a goal. I'd said before the season that uh, um, I thought in order for that third line to truly become elite, Mason, they needed to replace Mason Appleton on it. If you're going to get Adam Lowry and you're going to have Nino Niederreiter out there playing on that line, I think that you get uh, – that's what I'd said at the beginning of the season. I come out here and I talked about Kelly Moore and I had a conversation. Kelly Moore said he just thinks so much had been interrupted with Mason Appleton and him moving to the Seattle Kraken, coming back, reacclimatizing to the Jets last year with the injuries coming out. And so at the beginning of the year, it looked very much like that was the case, that he'd broken out, he'd found his stride, and here he went. Uh, you know, this is probably something we can expect. Like the Jets are a team that finishes at an extremely high rate. And I think what we should probably expect over the course of of the season is is the pucks. Like it's funny because the Jets don't score a lot, but it's almost like we should expect the pucks not to go in as much. Like the Jets are, are finishing at a high rate and Mason Appleton was finishing at an extremely high rate. Um, but I think we're getting back to that scenario, right? Where it's, it's the third line we saw when they were at their best and doing their best for this team was an offensive threat on a lot of nights. And I don't know necessarily if one is the cause of the other, but Mason Appleton kind of drying up offensively happens around the same time as, as that line is drying up offensively. And I don't think it's Nino Niederreiter Ken, because there's been enough examples where you've tried to highlight when Nino Niederreiter escapes that line and gets with someone else quite often, he's factoring in on points, right? So Nino Niederreiter, I think we all know and expect if you put him on the first line, he'd score and he'd contribute. If you put him on the second line, he'd score and contribute. If you put him on the fourth line, he'd score and contribute. Adam Lowry is another guy who can run hot and go a little bit cold. And I guess my take on that is is when you've got two guys like that, Adam Lowry who can run hot and then cold, and Mason Appleton who can run hot and cold, two of those guys running cold for a while makes it hard for them to come out of that. So I am – listen, I'll say it like this, Ken. The idea of breaking up the third line was an idea that we would not be, that I had suggested should not be looked at. Jason Bukala came on the show, had suggested we shouldn't be doing that. I would suggest before you break up that third line, or if you are going to break up that third line, the first move should not be Nino Niederreiter off that line. It should be someone else popping in for Mason Appleton to see if you can start the spark that we saw from that line offensively and see if you can get that going in and still have them uh, with the ability to go and shut down the rest of the league. Uh, like we said, uh, Derek Lalonde, the head coach of the Detroit Red Wings, suggesting Adam Lowry is the best shutdown center in the game. Having a, ga- a, a tool like that with the ability to still produce like they were at the beginning of the year makes the Jets an extremely, extremely dangerous team. Sure, and I've, I've never had a problem with that. But my bigger picture idea is it's more about providing an offensive weapon for Cole Perfetti uh, on the second line. And today Cole's down to 13:31 of ice time, but he still generated four shots on goal and five attempts. So uh, that's where I'm coming from on that one. I mean, I, I'm not 
like I said, I think the Jets can do well with that line. Uh, but right, they still haven't found the, the the recipe with all three of those lines going at the same time in terms of producing offense. But it's not only about producing offense, so I get it. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, we got okay. to run through our stuff here. Yeah, let's get at it. Uh, Johnson Group got your covered play of the game. I think you got a good one. Yeah, there's well, it's a good one for somebody. Uh, somehow the Chicago Blackhawks found themselves with what looked like a two on O in the last minute of the game, and then you saw a quick hook of the stick blade um, on Taylor Radish by Nino Niederreiter, and you saw an absolutely uh, last second, last sec- <clears throat> last second slash by Brendan Dillon and the uh, <clears throat> pardon me the combination platter. Uh, that was the hook and slash prevented Radish from what looked like a tap-in. Uh, that would have been a regulation win for Chicago, and that would have uh, heightened the mood in the old chat room here. But uh, that combination platter is my choice for uh, the Johnson Group. Got you covered. Play of the game. I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it, Ken. I don't think I need to add to it. Uh, uh, Kenny and Rennie OGs at the Johnson Group. You know them. You love them. And hey, do you run a small business in Canada? Look to Canada's number one employee benefits plan, Chambers Plan, to give you a competitive edge. Chambers Plan is the simple, stable, smart choice for over 30,000 businesses countrywide. Visit chamberplan.ca to learn more. And thank you to our friends from uh, the Johnson Group, the Kenny and Rennie OGs. Okay, moving on. uh, The keg save of the game, Ken. Yeah, I'm kind of torn still. Uh, I'm going to go honorable mention on the diving stab by Hellebuck, who attacks Philip Kurashev and sort of makes a good save on that one. Um, But I do think it's the breakaway save on Kurashev in the second period that really caught my attention. Uh, And and just the timely... Yeah, of course, it was a tie game, I think, in both scenarios, but... Uh, I, I thought, Sean, I, the reason why I'm picking the breakaway save is because it's the perfect example of what you and I have been discussing, Sean. You and I have been discussing how Hellebuck makes a difficult save look yeah. routine. And this is yeah. another great example. So yeah. Kurashev makes a move. You think he's like, oh, why isn't Kurashev making a move here? He does make a move, but Hellebuck doesn't bite at all. No, right? No, he doesn't bite, which is why he's basically in the middle of the net looking big, and Kershev is wondering why there's no room for him to score on. And he and I love the fact that he like he bats it away at the end. He's like, get out of here, get out yeah, of here. That, yeah. That's 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 not even close to enough to get me to move, uh batting it away. I think that was just an impressive, uh, impressive save by Connor Hellebuck. I mean, yes, Mrazek was great uh, at times in the game, but I, I thought that that save by Hellebuck is just a great example of how well he has been playing this month. He's been absolutely exceptional. Sub two goals against, save percentage on the rise, and uh, he's been really excellent. And he was very good again today, even though, yes, he gave up two goals, including a shot from distance. But <laughs> let's look at the shot on the replay, folks, before you say that's a bad goal. No doubt. No doubt. Um, hey, uh, that's Ken's keg save of the game. I agree with him. You should share with us your keg save of the game because if you do, you're automatically entered to win a $50 gift certificate to any of the three keg locations here in Winnipeg, each location finer than the last. And the winner from our last show before Christmas, that would be Matthew Thompson. Matthew Thompson, you know what to do. Direct message me at SN Sean Reynolds. Send me your full name. Uh, send me your email. I will send you a $50 gift certificate. 
certificate to the keg, uh, usable at any uh, of their three fine locations here in the city. Each location finer than the last. I'd also like to let everyone else know who'd won them. We backed up things in the queue, got to be a pretty busy Christmas season uh, and broadcast season towards the end there. Uh, all of your keg $50 gift certificates should be sent out tomorrow if you're the winners that will be happening the majority of your lamp lighters have been sent out except for matt heinen and big hitter if either of you are listening uh, i need you to get a hold of me i didn't get your information so uh direct message me at sn sean reynolds uh give me your full name and give me your email address so i can send that out to you you don't do it i'm going to give you three shows just based on the backup i don't think either of them got a hold of me ken which should mean that we moved it along uh to other people i'm going to give them uh this show next show and the show after that if i don't hear from them again they're getting thrown out to the people uh who would have been getting them afterwards so yes, I don't sir. Know people know who they are but that's how we're going to do it and that brings us ken of course to uh your tcb lamplighter of the game what do you got yeah, we're in full agreement on this one, too. It's the first goal by Bedard. Yes, the game winner in overtime is impressive for his ability to change the shot angle on the one-on-three. But to me, it's what what we heard about Connor Bedard. Where might he struggle? You know, undersized forward. Can he get to the hard areas and score goals? Well, not only does he create the space to create the initial one-timer from Connor Murphy, he follows it up with an outstanding rebound play, which is a you know, a piece of a, I don't even want to call it a between the leg shot because by the end it wasn't really a full between the leg shot, but just an incredible job of changing body position to get the second shot off. Then he continues to use the bulldog mentality that you mentioned in the text to me, getting to the second rebound and making it a full three for a dollar, um, you know, shot, shot at the circus, getting to the third one and burying it for the opener. And you know, I just thought it was just an absolutely impressive. The kid's up to 15 goals this year, and he's almost a point-of-game player. Um, and it's, it's certainly it's, lived it's up crazy. to the hype. Yeah, it's, he's it, living it, up to the hype. And, and the hype was incredibly high. It's crazy because, like, the Winnipeg Jets are a team that you cannot beat single-handedly. And right. on both those goals... He's just basically beating the Jets single-handedly. Like, that's a goal that he's... And you know what? He scored a similar goal going to the net um, in the World Juniors last year, which we never right. got to talk about. We'll hop into that next show. Yes, um, but uh, but scored a goal right at the front of the net in the World Juniors. And I remember talking with Sammy about that, and Sammy's saying, like, this is ju just basically about the kid. Like, everyone thinks that he's just like this. Because everyone remembers that really nice goal he scored yeah, where he walks the defenseman, goes in, dangles, and everyone's thinking, yeah, let's see you do that at the NHL level. Well, here's a kid <laughs> who realized a long time ago, I am going to do it here and there at the NHL level, but I know that I can't do it all the time. So I'm going to add this into my game and this into my game. So it's the shot we know that he's capable of. It's his passing game we know that he's capable of. Uh, it, it's him grinding to the front of the net like we saw that. And I just think that that is that, that, that there's so many tools at his disposal. The shot clearly changing the angle. He got the Jets on the game winner. But this is one of those ones that listen. This could be. Game seven, triple overtime in the Stanley Cup final. And you can score a goal like that to win the Stanley Cup because he's covered. He's got guys all around him. He's just got more skill and more will than everyone else around him is why he ends up scoring that goal, which is why, Ken, I agree with you 100%. That is the uh, Trans Canada Brewing Company lamplighter of the game. Uh, 
you should share with us your lamplighter of the game, your favorite goal of the game, because if you do, you'll automatically be entered to win a frosty, delicious eight pack of lamplighter amber ale brought to you by our friends at TransCanada Brewing Company. If you can't wait for Kenny and Rennie to gift you your very own eight pack of lamplighter amber ale, you just head on down to TransCanada Brewing Company on your own. You can join them in their tap room at 11290 Keniston, where we will be having the January for Fanuaries. Pop that up there. This is the Eventbrite uh, uh, site that you go to to get tickets um i want to say this uh i am so thankful of the kenny and rennie community and how they have uh turned every single one of our events into an absolute banger of event uh you haven't let us down yet don't let us down in 2024 don't start out 2004 by not showing up for kenny and rennie you got to come on out we want to turn that into another big room event uh it would be a blast if we did because we know the last one was a blast so january 22nd it's a monday night boston bruins you saw what the jets did to him last time imagine being at a live kenny and rennie event at trans canada Brewing Company, slugging down some frosty, delicious lamplighters, eating some of their amazing pizza, joining the K&R community, loudly whooping it up as the Jets do it all over again. If that picture doesn't get you down there, I don't know what will. It's going to be great, so come on and join us. And it's time now for me to announce our lamplighter from the last show. That would be jetboy59 so jetboy59 you know what to do direct message me at sn sean reynolds i need your full name i need an email you get me those things and i will get you a voucher for a frosty delicious eight pack of lamplighter amber ale brought to you by our friends at trans canada brewing company and i'll tell you this for the chicago blackhawks before we do shut it down uh well hey i wanted to say this that kevin korchinski i know you talked about what you thought was a trip that kevin korchinski i thought really showed i think he's the seventh overall pick ken defenseman for the chicago blackhawks he's uh, i've got a buddy who's a blackhawks fan who's been like singing his praises for a long time the first game i saw him i thought it was like okay i'm seeing it and then you see some of the rookie warts show up i thought he played really really well tonight that's going to be a duo that is going to be a concern overall, for yeah. the jets uh a concern for the jets in the central division for years to come uh those two draft picks really paying off for the Chicago Blackhawks. And if you are looking to pay off high interest credit cards or debt, we suggest you go talk to our friends at Cambridge Credit Union about their payoff loan. They can show you how taking out a loan to pay off your debt actually gets you debt-free faster and you can save thousands of dollars. Go to cambrian.mb.ca to book an appointment online. Uh, and I think that's it for us, Ken. I do want to say uh, thank you so much for everyone who joined us during the holiday season here. I know it's not easy. I know a lot of you are not able to handle these uh, after losses. Uh, suck it up. <laughs> We're going to get through it all together, people. Wanted to say... Uh, before we do go, if you appreciate the conversations happening in these spaces, please, please appreciate our sponsors who fight to keep the conversations going in these spaces for us. That's Vittorio Rossi, Pristine Roofing, Sweet Lou Ferlin, Cambrian Credit Union, the Johnson Group, the Keg, and of course, TransCanada Brewing Company. Uh, and hey, everyone brought it in the chat room as they always do. All those people I mentioned, get your uh, info to me. I'll get you some frosty, delicious lamp lighters. Uh, and we will see everyone after the next couple of games. Ken, I think this is a huge, huge set for the Jets because oh. I, if there's a challenge for this Jets grinding system, I think it's going to be a grind fest between them and the uh, uh, the Minnesota Wild, who are playing really, really good hockey as of late. And to your point, if Minnesota finds a way to uh, to 
get get to the Jets and somehow beat them two straight here. They're only four points behind them in the standings. They drag themselves not only into the playoff conversation, but they start nipping at the heels of those top teams and turn it into a four-team race for first place. This is stressful enough with the Jets bouncing up and down and all over the place the way uh, they're fighting for first place right now. You don't want to add another horse into that race. So two huge games for the Winnipeg Jets. We are hoping you will join us right here on KNR after those games. Ken, something to say before we shut it down? Yeah, a few folks kind of wondering. I just want to bounce it off of you quickly. Uh, the reverse hit by Ryan Hartman on Ehlers that knocked him out until you know late in that series against Vegas. Do you see there being some retribution, or is it still take a number of time given how how the you know how important this this double dip is going to be? That's a well, that's an interesting one. If you're asking me, ugh. I, I think I think this is okay. I think this is maybe Brendan Dillon territory, right? I don't know that uh, maybe Adam Lowry tries it. I don't know that he goes with Adam Lowry. I could see there being a little bit of a situation like that, but maybe it only happens if it's not a tight game and the game is in hand. So if the Jets get to that you know, position where they score an early goal, they start leaning on the team, the team makes mistakes, they go up 3-1, 4-1 or something like that. I could see it happening at that time. But imagine, you know, doing that, losing the handle on a game and you end up, you know, giving up your three-goal streak and they score four goals on you. That's all we would be talking about is the Jets lost their composure in this game. I think, oh, one thing I did want to say before we go... um, the, the fact that this game here tonight, I know the Jets lose, but they come out the way they started that game, the way they carried the most of it. I'm fully convinced now, Ken, the DNA of this Jets team used to be snake charmer. That used to be their fallback. That's what went wrong with them last year. I'm convinced at this stage that the fallback DNA of this Jets team has now become this grinding system, and that's what they fall back to as a base of playing, uh, and they and they build and add their skill out from there so what we see against boston is them playing that game and adding the skill i think when the jets aren't at the top of their game they just fall back to the foundation which turns into a grinding game sometimes they win sometimes they lose but there's a reason this game is 1-1 going into overtime because the jets fall back the absolute foundation of what they are and what they return to now and the reason i think they'll be successful going forward is because the fallback for them is defensively sound protecting the house grinding in the other team for checking uh tonight i thought even though it's a loss is another example of that that's it for us we hope to see you after both of those games uh we will see you on the 30th after the minnesota wild play the winnipeg jets bye everybody